Hello, friends. It's Kirk Henderson and Josh Bowe, and tonight we're joined by a special guest, current athletic staff writer and former Mavs Moneyball editor-in-chief, the man who helped make the site what it is today, Tim Cato. How are you, Tim? Fellas, how are you? We are really good, and you know why? You wrote an article today called Inside the Mavs Front Office, Mark Cuban's Shadow GM is Causing a Rift with with Luka Doncic. And it's incredible because this article helped validate a lot of the things Josh and I have felt, but not, you know, just as kind of outsider fan analysts and and not idiot people for a long time. And it's really, it's just, it's it's made our day and we cannot wait to talk to you. <laughs> and, well, and you know what? I, I want nothing more than making my former Mass Moneyball colleagues, colleagues, colleagues. I don't know why. Colleagues, no, that's okay. You've talked to them today. But man, I, 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 I want y'all I, I want y'all to be okay. I want y'all to be happy um, that that I'm doing good shit. And I feel like I feel like I feel like you guys feel that today. We do. And and my first question, and then I'm going to let Josh kind of lead the way since he's he's a he's an actual journalist, unlike me, is what was it like to commit a piece of journalism against the Mavericks today? Because the owner Mark Cuban was very not thrilled with your very diligent work. What's that been like? I mean, man. I mean, there's a there's a million ways I could take this. Um, I've also been asked this question and probably answered it like three <laughs> different ways. Uh, I, I would I would say that um, one thing I've kept coming back to is that you don't need reporting to understand that Luka Doncic uh, and any superstar player uh, who is employed by a franchise, you don't need reporting to say that if you don't win with them, if you don't put a team around them, that's that is successful. Um, that that player could leave, you know, like that, that was definitely a aspect and through line of the reporting that I did is that, you know, this could reach a breaking point, um, that there are people worried with them um, and people speculating around the league that this could lead to a scenario where people look at Luke and they look at the team and they look at two postseason first round losses and they look at, you know, just more generally, a, you know, a franchise that, doesn't really have a great track record with their front office um you can look at that and say yeah of course luke is going to consider every option and you know uh, as the reporting says in the article he wants to stay there long term that is where he feels and how he feels right now um any person you don't need my reporting to think yeah you know if this team doesn't figure out a way to win if this team doesn't figure out a way to be competitive in a game seven when he scores 46 and, and, and has 14 assists and, and it's not competitive in the final minute, you don't need reporting to think, yeah, that is not good enough and that is not enough for him. And even though right now he is very satisfied and okay with the franchise, he's going to sign the Supermax, that, yeah, of course that's a concern. That is something that needs to be addressed. Um, and you also need reporting to say that the track record, as I just mentioned, is not beneficial towards the Mavericks. It's not something where you look at the and say, wow, you know, they've they've killed it, you know, for decades and, you know, it's just a matter of trusting them. There is not a good track record with this front office and there are serious questions that should be lobbied against them to say, are the power dynamics, are the structures, are the, the long tenure of many people in the franchise, it, can this be true? Um, I know this is something that you guys have come back to repeatedly. And I, I think, I think to a degree, it's something I've come back to in my own writing. You know, these, neither of these things are, 
are situations that you know should fill Mavericks fans with confidence that things are headed in the right direction. And it's really a situation where it comes down to this is how the league operates. You know, it, again, it doesn't need reporting for you guys to, you know, for anyone to look at the team, to look at superstars, to look at the track record of this franchise and think, yeah, you know, like this is this is crazy talk. Like this is how it is. This is how it is. And, and I think how I view the piece as as a related, and I, I understand and understandably, it's being taken in a lot of directions. And I think that's. Uh, based off what I reported. But to me, the the singular thing that I come back to is those two things, is that, you know, it's on this team to convince Luca to, that this is the place to be. And it's on this front office, which doesn't have the track to support it, that they need to figure shit out. Who? Josh, you go. <laughs> okay. <laughs> well, obviously, I agree with Tim. Uh, anytime Tim says that, you know, we... We are hitting on the right, you know, basically saying that we're on the right path. Of course, I'm going to agree. Um, but I wanted to start. I want to ask a question. And this might be like too much of a, you know, big question. And if you legitimately, you know, can't answer this, don't sweat it. But I'm it is it's the thing that I've been most curious about since reading the piece. So I guess for people that haven't read the piece, just to, to take a, a quick step back, just in case anyone listening hasn't read it. Um, the piece is kind of going about the the power struggle that's going on within the Mavs front office uh, since the hiring of, I'm going to butcher his name, but Harlebos Volgaris, uh, well-known sports gambler. No, Mr. We'll just call him Mr. Volgaris. There. Yeah. So we don't butcher uh, his first name. I don't want to be. Or Bob Volgaris. Um, you know, obviously if you, if you've been on NBA Twitter, you know who he is because he's well-known sports gambler that made it big betting uh, on NBA games. He's been on lots of podcasts. He's been at conferences. He's been on the Bill Simmons podcast. He's talked with Zach Lowe. Zach Lowe. Um, but uh, but a, the, a weird thing is that the Mavericks haven't really publicized him being a, a big part of the team. I think I don't remember the team sending out a press release when he was hired in 2018. I don't remember there being much written about him in terms of coming from like the Mavericks talking about it. And really, since the last since he's been hired, he hasn't really been a, a public facing member of the organization. Uh, his Twitter account, he barely rarely tweets about the Mavs. He doesn't have uh, the Mavs as his employment in his bio. Nothing about the Mavs in that regard. So, like, if you didn't know him, it, it's very easy to not know him. But so the piece basically breaks down. You know, he's very the way he made his money was NBA gambling, and he did that by. He's a very smart guy building a, an analytics database that he used, collecting lots of data and, and looking at trends across the league, especially coaching trends. Uh, he's very famous for being very outspoken against bad NBA coaches. Um, and so the piece is kind of talking about how his influence is within the Mavs and how that is affecting people within the Mavericks front office. And it seems like, uh, to put it lightly, that the that a lot of people within the front office aren't too happy with the the, the influence he has or, or how much of Mark Cuban's ear he has. Um, but reading the piece, Tim, and, and like I said, if you can't answer this, I understand, but I'm just curious. Um, a lot of this piece is spent talking about Vulgaris, obviously. And a lot of this piece, you have a lot of, you know, credible sourcing talking about, you know, specific anecdotes and specific things that have rankled some feathers within the Mavericks front office. And to be honest, I think the only 
source you have in here defending Vulgaris in any way is, of course, the the comments you were able to get from Cuban, uh, where Cuban basically backed up his his decisions and and says, you know, I like what Bob's brings to the table. And then obviously uh, Vulgaris didn't uh, comment for this story. But other than that, I'm not seeing a lot. <laughs> there's not a lot of backing of Vulgaris in the front office situation. So I'm curious, Tim, my very long-winded question is when you started doing your reporting on this story and you knew that it was a story and, and as you got deeper and you talked to more people, was there ever uh, – did you ever run across people within the Mavericks organizations or any sources that you had in the league that was like – on his side, aside from Cuban, like it's very it, the the picture painted in this story is very much seems like it's you know there is just not a lot of fans of his within the Mavericks organization, and I'm just curious if there was anybody you talked to that tried to stick up for him in any in any sort of way, uh, and if not, uh, I understand, but like I, I'm just curious, did you run across any of that in your reporting? So first off, um, I was on the ticket earlier, and Bob Stern. It's very famous, very long-winded questions. And yes, I did. I pulled a bomb. Blew him out of the water. Uh, I just got to say, I'm very impressed right now. Thank you. Um, second of all, I've I've been answering honestly, Bob's you know Bob Sturm's question. Uh, that the specifically the long-winded one was actually quite similar to this. It is a question that's difficult and yeah, framed the right way. I think it's a good question uh, in, in a lot of ways. So the way I would answer this is to say that, um, first of all, obviously, I'm a reporter, and I, I put a lot of effort into trying not to think about what would happen because of this. Um, I wasn't out here with a outcome in mind, um, obviously. I, I mean, I, I, ho- I hope that's obvious. Like, I, I hope that, that that's obvious. That's, you know, how journalism works. But, you know, I actually specifically, you know, talk, you know, when I was thinking about the story, talking to, you know, my co-author, Sam Mamick, um, talking to editors, you know, I was not out here being like, okay, how is this going to play out when we record this? You know, that, that was not a desire. Um, I, I think it's also fair to say that, you know, I heard a lot, a lot about uh, Bob, uh, Bob Volgaris and the front office. Um, I very much view him as a, as a vehicle. Um, that's, you know, kind of, kind of not ideal phrasing, but, you know, like he, he was, he was a person who, you know, showed this dysfunction. Um, I would just say personally, I don't view this as a story about Bob. Um, I understand I'm not dumb. Um, I understand that the headline was about him. I understand that story and the details focus on him. Uh, I, I do think that, you know, reading, reading, you know, between the lines that, I think this is a broader story about the front office. Um, it, it's the way I viewed it throughout my reporting. It's the, you know, the questions that I would ask to people. And it's the, you know, when, when I, when I viewed the story, I was like, this is not specifically about the specific person, but this specific person, you know, I, I think it's probably fair to say that, you know, the, the tenure of the Mavericks that, you know, it was good to bring a new voice in, but the voice, you know, in the way that Bob was brought in was not effective, was not uh, functional, and that a lot of people have concerns about the way that it was implemented. Um, you know, we can legislate specific things I say about Bob um, and the decisions he made and, you know, who was behind them, um, you know, whether he was behind them or whether Donnie Nelson 
you know, time GM was the person initiating trades and transactions. Uh, we can talk more about that and the, the specific, you know, you know, who I tie to certain moves and things like that. But I, I would, I would just say that I, I view this more as a story about the front office and I, I will, I will say that through the course of the reporting, um, a lot of people wanted to talk about Bob um, specifically. And I think that they had good reasons to. I think that everything I reported about him, about Luca disliking him is, you know, like it's obviously it's true. You know, like I reported it because I felt very comfortable reporting that the stuff about Bob, um, you know, and, and Luca, the stuff about Bob and Rick, uh, so on and so forth. But I would I would say, and this is something I've said in a lot of media hits and media things I've done uh, throughout today, is that I, I do think it's important to frame this in the context of the front of, front office at large. As we said, you know they don't have a good track record. Like it doesn't take reporting to know that you look at this team, you look at the moves they've made, you look at the the decade they spent after winning the title, where they broke up the team, and they broke you know specifically broke up the title team. Because they, you know, this is reported way before me. This is not something that I'm, I'm bringing, you know, new to the fold. Although, you know, I understand if this is the first time people are hearing it. Uh, you know, they broke up the title theme as reported by Adrian Wojnarowski um, back when he was at Yahoo because they thought that they were going to get Darren and Dwight the following summer. Um, so I do think there's a lot of questions about the way the front office generally has operated. And I, I really do believe that. Bob is a really good example um, for a lot of stuff that has gone wrong and a lot of the issues and concerns and internal fears about the the team, you know, people on the team looking back five years later saying, you know, oh shit, we, you know, we fucked up the Luca era. That, that is very real. And that is a, a real concern. Um, but, but I, I do think, I do think it's worth viewing the, the office at large. Um, just in their role in this throughout throughout the time. So, how is that as an as an answer? Because no, that's, that's really good because once our our like Mavs Moneyball Slack, which has like twenty five people in it, and shout out to our Slack uh, who doesn't me. write. I keep waiting. They they don't they don't write. Uh, all of you need to write more. We're in the middle of a podcast. I'm lecturing you over writing. <laughs> um, but once people kind of got over the more salacious like the kind of shock value of hearing that, oh, oh, the draft decisions, if they were, you know, the draft decisions we didn't like were made by someone who probably shouldn't have made that choice, uh, was once we caught past that salacious sort of detail, you, it, it that's exactly what we started talking about because we have lived this together since the title team where all of us have collectively watched the Mavericks make uh make mistakes while not necessarily being held accountable for them because there were always reasons and since drafting Luka Doncic the margin for error continues to 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 narrow and it's to the point now it was really honestly it was to the point in 2019 only no one realized it at the time is kind of Josh and I's the superstar thing this is how the league works Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. And we, I, I still remember our, our first free agency podcast on 2019 where Josh and I were kind of drunk and yelling at each other, where we're simply saying, like, this is going to be the moment we look back on. And your reporting has confirmed some of that because the Mavericks 
have told everyone for years that they are the smart ones. They know what we're do they're doing. We need to trust them. In reality, and you know, Bomani Jones spoke about this. He was off on some of his details, but Cuban has been blessed with two generational superstars, and it, it's the equivalent of being born on third base thinking you've hit a triple. Um, like drafting Luca was not a hard choice. And yet, as far as I have learned or understood, and this wasn't in your piece, so don't feel free to ignore this comment, but I have learned that it took convincing of Cuban to need to go get this guy again, which after he passed off on Giannis Antetokounmpo. So at a certain point, it to me, this starts off with not even Donnie Nelson. It is the entire brain trust that these guys talk about, you know, Donnie, Cuban, Rick, and they're needing to be some kind of accountability. And for me, I feel like this story was a first step because I really did read it as a, as a front office thing, not as a rollabob. He was just kind of the symbol. Yeah. I, I think that, I think that generally, um, you know, without confirming specifics, because I can't, um, sure. I think generally that tracks with how I feel about the story that I published. Um, Again, I mean, it's it comes back to a franchise and to decision makers within this team um, that have a very public track record you can go look at. Mm -hmm. And you can say, all right, what are the decisions they've made and how have they played out? And generally the idea that it hasn't been good enough when, you know, when Luka drops 46 and has 14 assists in game seven and you're not competitive in the final minute, that's that's a that that is a overall overarching front office failure from everybody involved, and I feel like what this piece did in a lot of ways was share details into you know you know share a lot of specific examples into why um, specific avenues and, and angles of this front office and just this team more generally um, were failing to you know, really live up to the potential of what this, what the superstar player who in some ways, I, I don't want to say they lucked into him. I, I do believe that they had a, you know, a lot of work put into, you know, reaching that point and, and did, you know, there are certainly people who wanted to draft him, but, um, but yeah, I mean, we, we think about, yeah, I mean, it's, it's what you said. I mean, Again, I, I don't, I don't, I don't have specifics, you know, specifically to share. And I would have, you know, I would have put sure. them in. The well, there were a lot of specifics in this story. I mean, that's yeah, that's yeah. what. <laughs> I like. I, there just hasn't been a piece of reporting like this out of the Mavericks that I can remember. That was. I mean, there's been some great pieces over the years, primarily about like how they went and got Luca, yada yada yada. But there hasn't been a piece on things going sideways in a long time and i i wrote and you know and i apologize i i wrote an aggregation of your story where i actually i i linked to your your post four times and then also told people three times to go sign up for the athletic and included links how to your dare thing. you do this kirk the exact thing when i was editor of mass <laughs> i would tell anybody on our staff i would beg them to do this how dare you do this well and and i what i wrote was that that sunlight is the best antiseptic and that was what somebody in one of our locker rooms said today about how this you know, Cuban's reaction was pretty funny, and I know we, we probably shouldn't talk about it too much, but what it did to me is is kind of give me, you know, a lot of people were upset. What it did for me, and Josh, I'm kind of curious to your your thoughts on this, is it made me feel like, okay, 
okay, now here's an opportunity for the Mavericks to be honest about where they are so that they can figure out a way forward. Because I've felt like there's been a lot of, of we're just the smartest guys in the room talk for the past 24 months. Yeah, this definitely feels like a turning point, right? Like this is a moment in time where the franchise can either go one direction or go another. Uh, and there's the thing is, is that they still have an opportunity to to do things. Like they, this team is not, I keep emphasizing this enough, but they are not locked into this team. Like they're, it's not like this is like the end of the Lakers dynasty where they had a bunch of terrible contracts and they were capped out and they, and they couldn't do anything or, or, or the end of the Warriors dynasty where, you know, Kevin Durant's splitting and, and a bunch of guys are getting hurt and all that. Like, I just had a piece. I mean, this, this isn't the inflection point for Luca, who wants yeah. to play with the Mavs long-term. This right. is a concern that it's going that direction. Right. And this is a, this is the opportunity to change that. You know, they, they have a, they have a, an off season here where they can steer that ship back away from that even notion, that thought. Um, Tim, something else I'm curious uh, about, I guess, talking more about the story, because it really was, you know, a fascinating story. Like Kirk said, we don't we don't usually get too many deep dives into what's going on with the Mavericks when things are going wrong. So this is this was a really nice opportunity to shed some light on some things. And you've been on this all season in terms of talking about how, you know, the roster, it just isn't isn't matching up to where you think a roster would be in year three of having an MVP you know, caliber player. Um, so talking about this story, I'm curious, uh, and this might not even be that interesting to our readers, but since, you know, I don't do reporting anymore, but since I used to, I'm just curious what, what led you to this story? Like, how did this story come to be in terms of, I know you've been working on it for a long time and I know you have written stories earlier in the season talking about how, you know, the Mavericks roster just needs to be better and, and talking about how the roster hasn't changed much since 2019 in terms of who's getting the major minutes and touches. So I'm sure that kind of helped influence you down this path. But was there a moment where you talking to someone that you felt like, okay, this is this is something and, and it kind of sparked you to, to write this story or, or was there another inflection point or, you know, kind of how did that come to be? Yeah. Um, so... There's a couple of things I'm going to say about this. Um, first off, I was asked, uh, I thought this was a really good question by, by someone earlier. I think it was the ticket, actually. Uh, Corby, shout out Corby. He was like, would we be talking about this if they had won game three? If things had just gone slightly differently? Yeah, yeah, we would have been. Um, the The way that the roster was constructed, the way that the, the roster was built, uh, that wouldn't have changed if, you know, they just held on to their lead through the first quarter and the Clippers had melted. You know, like the, the concerns, the the league executives throughout the league who are looking at this team and saying who actually has power, um, you know, who actually is in charge, who should I even be talking to? Am I talking to someone who, you know, doesn't have a say over actually, actually what is happening? All of that would have remained to be true. Um, as, as you hinted at and I, I've said, um, you know, this is something that, you know, is not a story that came together in the past week when they lost. This is something that I've been hearing about for months on end. Um, and yeah, there was a moment where I got a text from a leak source saying, you know, it, it sounds like what's happening over there is like catastrophic. And, you know, it was early enough where I was like, this must mean KP and Luca. And as time went on, it was not that, it was not that at all. Um, you know, it, I was actually surprised as wow. the reporting went on 
um, you know, is, is that it, it really did sound like, you know, like back, back in January, February, it was like, of course, everybody was thinking like, oh, it's a KP Luca thing. I didn't hear anything, but like, there was not a section on KP that, you know, I just kind of axed at the end because I didn't feel like we had good enough sourcing on it. As far as I know, and there may be stuff there that I just haven't heard about that has been, you know, hidden away from public detail uh, in, a, in a more substantial way. I don't know. Um, but I will say that there is not stuff stemming from that that I you know, in, in holding back or just trying to validate or confirm. Um, and yeah, this, this, as, as time went on and as I continued talking to people, um, both, both, you know, around the league and obviously as it's shown in the reporting and in the story, you know, even with the, with the team itself, you know, this was so much of this was stemming from a complicated and unnecessary, you know, just a, a power structure and a, and a clashing of, you know, it's in the story, I quote a, a team source saying that, you know, this team has two GMs. And that's not a functional way to run a front office that, you know, is looking at, you know, the a finite number of years that they have with Luka Doncic. So that's, that's I, I think, probably the, the best way to kind of summarize how this came to be. And... You know, it wasn't something that came about just because they lost in the first round. It's it's real concerns that real people, you know, who have a stake in the Mavericks, whether it's on the team, around the team, you know, have been on the team, whatever it is. Um, it's real people who who look at the situation and say, This is this is not just like normal front office messiness. You know, it's something beyond that. So if I Kirk, if I may if I can follow up on that. Um, I'm curious, Tim, what your thoughts are then, you know, with the two GMs, there's obviously some type of, of there's friction, power struggle, uh, all of that. I'm curious, the Mavericks are notorious. I don't know if you say notorious, just famous for like, there is a clear kind of brain trust. If you follow the team, you know, Mark Cuban is very involved in the basketball decision-making on like, you know, a lot of owners, you know, he's very involved in that front. There's Donnie Nelson, who I think his official title is actually, you know, president of basketball operations. Uh, and then, you know, you have Rick Carlisle, whose input they take. Uh, and then Casey Smith, who is their, you know, head athletic trainer, who they rely on for, you know, hey, is this, you know, can this guy's body hold up? Like with, when they're making moves, uh, that's kind of defined as like the brain trust. And it's and what's interesting about this story is just how much, you know, Bob kind of maybe rose to prominence within that brain trust. it's i mean the mavericks front office at least from the outside looking in has been mostly unchallenged uh for a very long time for you know 20 you know basically you know 20 years you know spanning dirk's uh starting up when cuban bought the team a couple years into dirk's career um and then the only other time i can remember them trying to maybe shake things up with a front office thing was garrison rosas we know how that happened he he did not last very long so, Tim, I'm curious, when you look at kind of that scenario that happened, you know, in 2013, a while ago, and now you look at this, is there, is the Mavericks front office just too impenetrable from outside, from an outside voice? Is there stuff within the front office that makes it difficult for new voices to, to mesh? Or, you know, what's your, what's your take on that when you, when you did this reporting? 
Yeah, I mean, I, I come back to, you know, multiple things said in the in the piece where, you know, there is a reputation around the league. There is an understanding that this is a very long tenured front office mm-hmm. um, that, uh, you know, they, they have a consistent level of, oh, man, um, I think it's fair to say unchallengeability. Um, I don't want to relate this to anything else, but I, I, I do think specifically the idea that this front office has been around consistently um, that the same people have been in place for a long time is, is true. You know, I think that's objectively true. I, I don't think it's something that I need to report or, you know, that you would even glean specifically from my reporting is that, you know, this has been a very stable front office. Um, stability is a good thing. Um, I'm not at her to say otherwise, um, but I am, a, a, you know, I'm willing to say that track records speak for themselves and, the, the question is, you know, as a, as a source, you know, this is another quote from the article itself is that, you know, the most powerful person in the organization is Cuban and the next most powerful person is the person he's most listening to. You know, I, I don't, I, I wouldn't say that, you know, and I don't think the article says this, that the reason Bob had influence that pushed into the franchise was because he was made an equal voice. I, I would say it's because he was a person Cuban was listening to. Um, and I think that's, that's fair. And I, I don't even think it's wrong necessarily. Like they needed some shakeup or, or some ability to have new voices in this team. But when, you know, and, and I think, you know, like I think all three of us, if we were to sit down with them and say, Hey, what do you think about basketball? Um, we'd probably have a lot of agreements with them. Um, you know, I am someone who, who views this team pretty analytically minded. Uh, or, or use basketball, I would say, you know, not this team, you know, like basketball in general, I view it as a pretty analytically minded, uh, you know, that's, that's how I try to understand what's happening on the court, how basketball is evolving over time. And the, you know, just the, the dynamics at play, like, I, I do think that, you know, there is, there's been a power structure that's been in place for a long time. Uh, that's, that's reality, you know, like you can, you can go look at the, the, the facts of how, you know, when people were hired and when they were put in place. And I also think that, you know, it's, it's probably a a good thing. Um, Or I I don't think it was a negative thing that people were, you know, that, that new voices joined the front office. Um, The implementation very clearly as shown by the reporting and in the story that I did uh, wasn't great. And that's, that's a specific concern that was voiced to me by a lot of people um, in and in and out of the team and just concerns generally that, you know, the, the way this franchise is headed um, could be something where you look back in a, in a few years and say, this is the player of the generation in Luka Doncic, you know, the singular player, you know, whatever fortune and intention was put into making sure he ended up as Maverick, it has still ended up in this specific manner where, you know, you're a front office and you're a team that, you know, needs to do right by him and needs to be able to help him win, uh, you know, right when he's ready. And whatever the circumstances specifically, you know, like you can, again, I'm, I'm, I'm being, I'm being vague only because like, I, I just like, you know, what I said in the story, like I, I sure. you know, go, go view that exactly. Like it's, you know, but whatever the circumstances that that conspire to, you know, fail the Mavericks 
over over a couple seasons. You know, I think I think that is worth examining. Um, and I think the piece really gets at a lot of that. Okay, so I have Tim. I have a couple more questions about your story, and this this one was really fascinating to me, and it really stuck out was when you talked about um, the the stuff with Rick Carlisle. I think all these like anytime you talk about Rick, I'm always curious about that because he's a very interesting guy, and you're not going to get too much out of him uh, from the media unless you know you slip up and he makes fun of you or something like that. But otherwise, you know you're he's kind of like Donnie in the sense that you don't take a lot of his public comments at face value. So anytime you can kind of get a peek behind the curtain at how Rick Carlisle operates behind the scenes, I think that's always extremely, extremely interesting to me. And, you know, you kind of mention about Carlisle who one of you, you know, one of your sources says is adaptable as a motherfucker and, and kind of how he has been, you know, coaching Luca and how that relationship has gone. But the thing that really jumped out at me was talking about uh, Volgaris uh, making, you know, lineup suggestions that Carl would implement and things like that. I know, obviously, you know, NBA coaches, you know, work with other parts of the organization to formulate and get the data they need to make decisions regarding starting lineups, rotations, minutes, all that good stuff. But um, I think a lot of people that I was talking with publicly about this story, like just so many people were like, wait, Rick was listed. Like, you know, cause everyone sees Rick as, you know, the cantankerous uh, caretaker of the team and no one seemingly could believe that like he would, he would have someone else, you know, have their fingerprints on his precious starting lineups and, and his rotations and things like that. So was that part of the story surprising to you? You know, were you, or were you like, yes, this, this tracks from, from following the team and from following Rick, like, what is your take on that part of the story, uh, you know, outside of what you've already written, if there is any? Right. I mean, I think it I think it specifically tracks back to the adaptable as a motherfucker. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and I think there's also a good time to say, you know, like Sam Amick was a, a, a co-author of the story. Um, right. Definitely involved in, in, in a lot of this. I, I would just say that, you know, I think that specifically tracks. Um, We've seen we've seen very publicly how Rick has evolved, both in the way that he handles Luca. Um, I think it was probably the December of his rookie season, where what he said publicly about Luca, about being the face of the franchise, about being someone who you know they're going to trust in every situation possible. You know that that was something that Rick you know made a big deal about, um, and increasingly did in his public comments over time. And you know there is. This is no secret. There's nothing Rick hates more than live ball turnovers. And it is something that you have to deal with with Luca. You know, like the whole, you know, reputation that that he doesn't jive well with rookie point guards isn't I think it's a little bit misguided because specifically he doesn't jive with people who are entrusted with his offense who turn the ball over. Um and you know what? He got to a point where he was like, I, I can deal with that with Luca. You know, he's the future of this franchise. He's the guy who matters here. Um, you know, I, I think the step back threes was another one where, you know, even when I wrote a very, you know, his rookie season, when I wrote a story about his, his three point shooting, his step back threes, and it was a very complimentary story and it compared him to James Harden and all, all of the above, you know, just about how, you know, it was really his, his athleticism that propelled him to do this. Even in that story, I talked about how his public comments about, that shot specifically and how much 
he thought it was like, you know, the, the thing that he should be doing kind of changed over time. Um, I'm not the only person to report this, you know, Tim McMahon has done, you know, even more detailed reporting on how Carlo kind of shifted his public perception or, or public uh, speaking points, talking points about how he viewed um, Luca, how he viewed his step backs, how he viewed his turnovers, how he viewed just, you know, this is a guy who's entrusted with the offense. Um, the other adaptability I think that we've very publicly seen is, is the way that Rick has embraced analytics over the past I think it goes way back before like three or four years ago when, you know, as, as the reporting, the story says that, you know, that's when he was involved to the degree that he was, you know, Rick has increasingly embraced analytics as something that he cares about and that he factors into his coaching. Um, So this is a long winded way of saying that Rick is adaptable and that if he views, you know, like if he views power structures as being something he needs to adapt to, it's not crazy to think that this is exactly what he would do. I mean, you, you look at the way that he's adapted to so much else in a very public way. And you think about the power structures at, of, of the team and the way that they've, you know, just kind of, um, you know, like all the stuff I reported about, you know, the influence in the team and, you know, who was calling decisions. It's very, very understandable. And it, it just tracks logically that this is a coach that wants to do, you know, both what is wanted of him and what he feels is necessary, um, you know, based off the players he have, he has on his team. And I think that is something that with Lucas specifically, you can see very publicly and in the ways I just discussed, you know, and also now tracks, you know, maybe in a more private way or a way that I was, you know, specifically was reported by my article is that, you know, he is willing to make the adjustments to the way that he coaches based off the influences around him whether, you know, both in the way that he's like, you know, I'm, I'm viewing basketball in a new way. I'm viewing basketball, you know, through a for, through an analytics mindset. He's famously the person who said the post-up is not a good shot um, about Christoph Porzingis, you know, responding to, uh, I think it was the inside the NBA who was saying, oh, KP's tall. He just needs to post up more. Rick was right. He was obviously right about that. Um and, and and you can you can see that through line that that of the ways that he's evolved as a head coach. Now you know there's reporting in the story that says that you know Luca may just have tuned him out even longer before that. Um, I'm you know the, the reporting stands for itself. Like it doesn't implicate uh, necessarily saying that that Luca is just like trying to oust him or anything like that. I would I would I would say that it it doesn't even. Uh, you know, it does the exact opposite. Like, if, if Luca really wanted to wield influence, like, he would not have just said at, at, his, at his exit interview that, you know, he was trying, you know, he was planning to sign his uh, his Supermax extension. That's the power that you hold over a team if, if Luca himself is out here trying to be like, oh, I want this change, I want that change. Um, I just don't think that's the case, you know? And, and I think, I don't think the story is, it's really negative towards Luca at all. Like, it, it just represents who he is as a player and what he wants just like any other superstar would want and and just really kind of shows that dynamic um but yeah i i would i don't know i think that answered your question you know i don't don't know i don't i don't think i have a concise conclusion to uh to wrap this up with but no yeah it's very adaptable and that rick adapts to the circumstances around him Uh, i don't know if that was always the case but I, i absolutely agree that that is something recently um and over the past two four, six years is something that he's shown very effectively as a head coach. 
Yeah, I mean, Rick was the head coach of those uh, Pistons and Pacers teams, you know, back in the early two, you know, the mid early to mid two thousands, where NBA playoff scores were seventy eight to seventy two final scores, and now he is the head coach who very recently had a team with the you know the greatest offense in NBA history. Like, you're not you're not a head coach then, and then a head coach now if you're not willing to uh, change up any type of uh, preconceived notions you have about basketball. Like my it's favorite obvious, interview, obvious favorite interview I've ever had with him was writing about the Mavericks setting the record, the NBA record about the, about the offense, you know, last season. And he talked to me at depth about, you know, some of the stuff they did, but he also talked to me, he was like, he was part of the rules commission and he wanted to expand the basket by half an inch. And he had like data at the time backing him up and saying, you know, if, if we expand the basket, if we expand the rim by a half inch, we're going to increase scoring. Like, I don't know the number. Like, he might have said in the piece, I can't remember. Uh, but he's like, scoring is going to be, you know, it's going to be boosted by 27%. Uh, but yeah, I talked to him one-on-one for the story. And he was just like, yeah, I was wrong. And, you know, I think the, the, the directions that people, you know, made instead to reduce the the defenses and the illegal defense and three seconds and all that stuff, that was the right way to take it. And it's no surprise to me that the, the, the output of the, the league has led to a team like the Mavericks. And even in that story, he was like, this is going to get broken again. And it did. It literally got broken this year. By like uh, eight was, teams. <laughs> yeah, by, literally, literally five teams, I think, yeah. if I have the numbers right. It was, it was, it's insane. And that, like, I'm just telling you, that's, that's my favorite interview I've ever done with him. And it showed someone who had a very – you know, came into the league thinking something about basketball mm-hmm. and over the course of two decades has dramatically changed how he feels about it, how he looks at this sport. And I do think that there's a lot of value in that and that that is a, a really important way to view him as, as a person, as a coach, as all of this stuff. Totally. Um, my next question, and uh, this one might be one you can't answer, but I'm going to, I'm going to grill you on this one. I just want, I'm just curious your thoughts uh, after doing the reporting on this story, obviously you will be following up on it. If there are more leads to chase, if things come up and, and things develop uh, as this is going to be a pretty, I got to imagine this is going to be a pretty uh, hectic off season for the Mavericks. Um, I imagine things aren't going to be necessarily static in terms of roster building, uh, but who knows? Uh, do you envision a scenario where uh, the, the, the next NBA season tips off in October and both Rick and Bob Vulgaris are employed by the Mavericks? I I would say that I don't know what's going to happen. Um, mm. I think that you're framing it wrong. I think the framing is more about the, the, the quote that I have in the article is that there's two general managers. I think the framing is more about Donnie and Bob. Um, okay. I think the framing is more about you know, I guess in some ways, like, you know, if, if the influence Bob had in the, in, in the front office was directed through Cuban, um, you know, Cuban's not going anywhere. Um, and Luca's <laughs> exactly. not going anywhere. I, I think, I think we can say those th- two things for sure. But I, I think the framing is more about like, what's going to happen to this front office and who is making decisions and, you know, who is in charge of these decisions. And I think that is, that is probably the framing I would say. I don't know. Like, honestly, truly, I don't know um, how it's going to play out. I think it's going to be very interesting to look at, you know, to, to see how it develops over the summer. Um, I'd be surprised if it was exactly the same at it in the next season. 
um, it, it felt like, you know, I think I said this at the very start, like it, it said that, you know, it felt like it was headed this direction long before I heard about it and was reporting on it. You know, right. it felt like it was something that, you know, was, was coming to a head this summer, no matter what happened. And certainly, you know, there are people willing to talk because they're worried about the future and they, you know, they, they, they want an understanding of, you know, what has gone wrong, but, um, but yeah, I, I would say that I would just be surprised if things remain the same. And, and like, I'm not, not, I'm, I'm, I'm not just playing coy with details. Like I, I really <laughs> don't know how it's going to play out. Yeah. Um, you know, and, and I'm, I'm very curious as well to kind of see how the summer, uh, matriculates and how it, how it builds and, and, and just see, you know, if, if there is a, if there is a singular person, you know, back in charge of making most of the decisions, it's always going to be Cuban at the, at the top. Uh, he is the person who has the most power. Um, I think I've been very clear, you know, I was very clear in that when the reporting with, with quotes that were put in there. Um, yeah, I think, I think that, that sticks by, you know, pretty much how I, I feel about, you know, just the, the team in general and in a Cuban led franchise, but yeah, I, I wouldn't, I wouldn't expect things to stay the same, but at the same time, like, you know, I, I, I didn't obviously come into the story thinking any specific outcome would be the result. Um, wasn't my job. It was specifically something I, I, you know, I tried not to think about um, because that's, that's not what a reporter's job is. It's, it's to, you know, to take in all the information and all the things that are being said by people who would have a reason to say these things and to come up with the best possible result, you know, based off what I've heard um, and put it in an article form like I did. And all I can say is that, you know, it, based off all of that, it seems very unlikely that, you know, this wasn't already going to come to a head in some manner and that it won't still come to a head in some manner uh, in whatever way it does. You know, I, I think it's going to be very interesting to see what, you know, what even the media guide says next year in terms of you know, <laughs> who is who is listed in the franchise and, and, and listed in the front office under specific roles. And uh, yeah. You know, like obviously, if I, if I hear stuff, I will report it. You know, when I feel comfortable and confident enough doing so. But I, I think I think that's probably the best the best answer I can give to that. Okay, great. And I'm I'm with you there in terms of like this is going to be interesting. And I'm with you there that I can't imagine it being can't imagine them just kind of running things back uh, in all regards. You know, roster, front office. You know, there definitely feels like there's going to be some sort of change in the air. We just don't know. So this is kind of playing off. This is my final question. Um, and it's kind of playing off of, of what you already talked about. So forgive me if uh, this is feeling like I'm repeating myself or anything, but I think the thing that you've written about uh, you've written about with reporting, I've written it with opinion pieces and columns uh, and other people have written too is, you know, I think there's the, the, the veil has been taken off of the Mavericks front office in terms of, you know, giving them time and, and giving, you know, having excuses ready and having reasons for why things didn't work out. You know, like you said, there's the track record It is, And I, you know, when you talk about how this story you wrote, isn't just about vulgaris, you know, you're right in the sense that like you brought this up, it's been 10 years. It hasn't just been since October, 2018 when he's been hired. Like I'm fully convinced that the Mavericks off season would be very, very would, wouldn't be that different in 2019, 2020, even if Bob wasn't around on that team, because I mean, you just look at the track record and the Mavericks plan since 
2011 seemingly is we're going to swing for the fences on a big star free agent. If that doesn't happen, we're not going to overpay role guys. We're going to work the margins. We're going to, we're, we're going to find, you know, these diamonds in the rough because we believe we can pay less to get similar production that you would get from, you know, a $15 million role player. Um, and, and they were doing that before, before Bob joined the team. So like, I'm with you there, but I'm curious, do you feel like through your reporting, you kind of hinted at it because you kind of think that you you think that this is gonna not necessarily be a static summer. But from your perspective, doesn't even need to be reporting; could be your opinion. Um, where do you, do you feel like that the organization is aware that what's been going on lately um, is not acceptable in terms of the roster building moves they've made? Because you've written about it, uh, you know, I've written about it. You know, twenty nineteen in, in the playoffs this year, they barely had anybody play minutes that wasn't on the roster, you know, back in 2019, like it is, they have just almost failed completely with every new addition to the roster since 2019, you know, Seth's not on the team anymore. The player they traded for Josh Richardson had a disappointing season. Uh, You know, DeLon Wright's on the team who they signed in 2019 and the players they traded him for, you know, James Johnson, uh, and uh, he's not on the team anymore. And the guy they traded for didn't play in the playoffs. So they, they just, the the guys playing all the minutes and getting all the shots and all the touches. I mean, guys that have been on the team for for a long time, besides Luca and KP uh, and Tim Hardaway Jr. Uh, and even then, they've been on the team since 2019. So I'm just another long winded question. But do you do you get a sense that they're that the organization is aware that this is unacceptable? Because they do. They certainly love to tell you that this is this team is great and that this is the team that they need around Luca and, and they just need to mature and get better. Uh, but do you get a sense behind the scenes that this is a very big off season for them, not even in terms of the front office change up, but just like they got to start hitting and they got to start doing some things to get more talent around Luca, which you've been writing about, I feel like for, for the last six to six to eight months. Yeah, I, I think <laughs> so. I think that the reason that a very tight lipped front office and mm-hmm. a very tight lipped team was willing to share details with me, even if it was details that, you know, originated from leak sourcing and, you know, which obviously stems from somewhere somewhere as well. I think the reason they're willing to talk to me is that they view this as pivotal. Um, The other framing I would say is that, you know, it's ultimately Cuban is the person in charge of the basketball operations. And does, does he feel that way? Um, does does what he has you know what what he has dictated over years, um, over two decades, over over two decades. Um, does does he feel like they're at a point where things need to change and things need to be different? Um, you know, I I think there's evidence to say that that he does. I think there's evidence to say that he doesn't. Um, you know, if I had a I've had a firm through line of saying, you know, Cuban or whoever or any single person within this team is, you know, the the driving factor or the driving force behind the Mavericks so a bit of, but I just don't think it's that complicated. These things are nuanced and they're complicated. Um I'm sorry, I said I don't think it's like it, it is that complicated. I don't think it's that simple. Um, you know, these these things are nuanced and complicated and I think there's a lot of factors all over the place where, you know, that have led to a team that has underperformed um, despite back-to-back generational stars. 
And, you know, I don't think things are dire. I don't think things are in a situation where everything is, is, is falling apart. You know, this is not the Sacramento Kings, but I would, I would, I would just say that, you know, um, that, yeah, I mean, it's, it's a situation where, um, I, I think that the reason I was able to report this, that report this is that people wanted to make sure that dynamics within this team were just not up to par. And maybe it's been like that for a long time. Um, but with the context of Luca and the context of superstardom in the NBA, this is the time that, you know, people need to look, need to look at this and need to make sh- goddamn sure that, you know, everything's going in the right direction. Well, well said. That makes sense for me. Um, Kirk, I am done with my questions. I'm sorry I hogged the mic. Is there anything you want to get to? Because I have I have fired my notebook off at, at, at Tim. So Well, uh, I'm in a I'm in a special situation where I'm on video and you're not. And I will uh you know, this is this is actually breaking news. This is recording <laughs> that I'm gonna share. Kirk is not at his microphone. Oh, I'm just now looking. I don't believe he's ready to close this out. So I think this is all of you. Oh, another another scoop. Okay, well, I cannot... <laughs> the biggest one I think I've reported today. I know. Uh, you're on a roll. I mean, that's back-to-back scoops in, in less than 24 hours. Less than 12 hours, re- almost, really. All right, well, I'm. Any, is there anything else that we didn't touch on, Tim, that you wanted to talk about? Or is there anything uh, that you're working on that you want to tease? Or, you know, anything you just... How are you feeling? Are you feeling all right? I, I the playoffs. Fine. I would. Crazy I would just say there's nothing. There's nothing imminent. There's nothing. You know. All. All I. Yeah. I. I would just say that it's been a fun, interesting Monday, and <laughs> the the job continues. That's fair. That's fair. Are you? Um. I guess I kind of want to ask. You know, this is not now. I'm now. I'm really rambling. But uh, how did you? feel your first you know covering an nba team during a pandemic all the rules about that uh how did you feel about that stuff like were you able to get done what you needed to get done for your job and just what you personally wanted to accomplish or were the roadblocks that are in place because you just you know you don't have locker room access all that kind of stuff did that did that significantly change things that you wanted to do and and how were you able to get through that and just how, how did the season go it was weird. It was weird. Yeah. Um, I had media friends describe it as a redshirt year or as we're all kind of <laughs> it, um, that, that we built up cachet and built up relationships with people throughout the, you know, kind of the time that we've been on beats and, you know, in in the process of just not having the access we did, it's just, it's just weird. I mean, I am both someone who doesn't take a lot of quotes from post game pressers and scrums and even press conferences, you know, I, I do think that there is a, there is a level of verbatim and cliches that are always going to be cast around in those situations. And at the same time, I, I think there's value to them too. Like there are times where you need to talk to people and there's times where, you know, there is no other situation where these people are going to be presented in ways that you can ask them questions that hold them accountable. So it's, it's been a weird season. Um, but I, I think all things considered that it was uh it was one I, I don't hope we repeat again, but 
you know, I think in a lot of ways was was also in some ways kind of kind of fun or, or at least different or at least interesting in a way to experience on a one time basis. Right. Do you feel like I mean, good Lord, they're basically filling all the arenas again. Uh, and as you know, vaccination rates hopefully keep going up. Do you feel like um because concern, I think, from a lot of beat writers and even, you know, myself, you know, not, I mean, I'm not a beat writer anymore, but as somebody who used to do that kind of stuff, is there concern that the NBA might be comfortable and NBA teams might be like, hey, this was actually kind of nice that we don't have to have a bunch of reporters in our locker room asking questions and, and getting in front of our players. So, you know, we can just, we kind of can control things a little bit more because we can decide who gets on the Zoom call and, and who doesn't and, and all that kind of stuff. Do you, are you concerned that this might be the new normal or is there, have you heard enough things or are you confident enough that, you know, things will shift back to, I haven't heard stuff per se. Like I, I don't know exactly where things are going to lead, but I think it's reasonable to think that it would be very hard to reverse how things used to be unless there's a coordinated push from every North American sports league that has, you know, very strictly proliferated this level of access. And I think it's really hard to see, you know, all four sports leagues kind of falling in line in the same ways with the same opinions and influence and all that stuff. So yeah, that makes sense. I think, I think we'll be okay. All right. Well, good. That, that makes me, that makes me sleep at night. Um, well, let's get out of here. You've been with us for, for damn near over an hour, I think. So I've been chilling. Uh, Oh, Kirk's back. Breaking news. Kirk is back. I was about to wrap up. Kirk, do you have any more questions or do you want to get out of here too? Oh, God, no. I think I've hit my limit. All right. It's too too many hits, too many. There there is a surprising number of mediums that you can be invited on today in this day and age. Locker room, live video chats. Don't think I won't forget the fact that you did us last. I'm just gonna let know. So, so <laughs> tell me, you guys are not available until now. So this tell is me, not tell a- me something. I have an unrelated Mavs question. Unrelated okay. toward the end. Let me get out of here. But let's let's go. You you don't really get time off, but is there anything now that you don't have to cover like 75 basketball games in 45 days that you're looking forward to doing in the in the the off season? Even though there's not really such a thing. Um. I would like to take vacation. I don't. Mm. I was in LA. I stayed a couple days after Game Seven. It was not a vacation where I was like, I am fully in charge of my daily itinerary because there was still a lot of reporting and wrap up of the season that I was doing. So, I think that things will feel a bit freer uh, with the story published and just with no games and press conferences and exit interviews and all that entails. I think, I think it'll be, I think I will enjoy, um, you know, we'll, we'll see what the next, the the rest of the week brings, but I think I'm going to take some, uh, some PTO next week. And I think that's going to be a, a good, good development in, uh, Tim Cato's life. Good. You've earned it. You've earned it. Well, Tim, thank you so much for joining. Sorry. I had to dip in and out having a, uh, having a fun evening at home with a, Five-year-old struggling post-surgery, but we're good. Um, Josh, just I'm going to go ahead and, and wrap up for us both. Yes. Uh, Tim, you're fantastic. This has been uh, Josh and Kirk with uh, Mavs Moneyball After Dark. 
Uh, I don't know what we're, we're going to be doing in the coming days, but needless to say, there's no rest for the wicked. Come in and tune into our website. Uh, also, I'm just going to make the pitch for Tim. If you haven't subscribed to The Athletic, I really think you should. Uh, it's probably my favorite sports-based website out there. ESPN has just sort of faded to the side. The app is fantastic. The content is not expensive. You can find deals if you're looking for it, but if you want to give Tim a sub, you should go through some of the links that he's posted. It's very... I know it's helpful to him and to the company. They just do great stuff for all sports. Fan, I, I really like their fantasy football coverage randomly. Um, but if if you're a fan of a sports team, then chances are they have top-notch coverage of it. So so that's going to be my pitch. So this has been Kirk, Josh, and Tim. Uh, all of us at one point or another work for MavsMoneyBall.com. And we're going to let you guys get back to your day. Tim, thanks for hanging out with us. And everybody have a good day. <laughs>